Siri can hear me anyway. How's everybody doing? Good. So glad that you are here. So glad that we are able to be together. And we're kicking off a new series today. We're jumping into From the Mount, our summer series. We're going to take a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get a lot of awesome nuggets from this sermon that Jesus taught. And I'm so excited to be able to dive into that. I'm going to sort of do the bookends of that. I'm going to start off with the beginning, sort of set the stage for what the Sermon on the Mount does for us. And then I'm going to focus on the last portion of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's dig in. So Matthew introduces the Sermon on the Mount with this. And when he saw the crowds, he went up into the mountainside. And when he sat down, his disciples came up to him. Now, when we first read this, just at first glance, we would think that Jesus was actually retreating from the crowd. He saw him and he was like, I'm out. I need some time with my disciples, so I'm going to go away. But that's actually not what Jesus was doing at all. He was actually being very inclusive. Where he taught the Sermon on the Mount was on the Mount of Beatitudes, this beautiful mount in Israel, and it's this beautiful amphitheater. So it would actually project the sound of Jesus so that the crowds could actually hear. So you could also think, well, why didn't Jesus spend time with them on healing them or performing miracles? Because that's a big reason why these crowds followed Jesus around is because they wanted to see the miracles and experience those for themselves and also be healed. Well, I think of the saying, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But you teach a man how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. I think Jesus wanted to take this opportunity to teach not only his disciples, but the crowds. And if we dig into this analogy, we'll find a little bit more reasoning behind that. If I give somebody a fish, well, that's pretty easy to do. I've got the fish. I don't know how I got the fish because I'm not much of a fisherman. But I get the fish, and then I give the fisherman of the fish to a person. I'm sorry. This, this, we, we don't really get along, me and this microphone. And the mask makes it even worse. I'm getting it on and off. So I'm sorry. Just give me a minute. Okay. Now I'm back. But if I give a man a fish that I have caught, or I'm teaching that man how to fish, that means I first have that knowledge myself, and then I'm sharing that knowledge with someone. So it implies that I have that knowledge. And I think that's where the Sermon of the Mount comes in. The Sermon of the Mount isn't a one-day fix. It is an instruction. It is a playbook, a manual for how God intends for us to be disciples. So this playbook is opened with God's grace that we accept through belief. And it is heard with faith that God is the giver of all good things. And it's lived out through the action of the gifts that God has given us in order to use for his good works. So that's a really quick synopsis of the Sermon of the Mount and what the Sermon of the Mount does for us. I get it. That was like really fast. But we're going to, like I said, all summer we're going to be digging into this. But I just wanted to set that stage so that we know that all of this sermon is direction for us. It's how we are to live our lives. So now we're going to dig in to the last portion of that from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Hear the word of God. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was built on and founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus ends with a bang, and that's where we are going to begin. So first, so first, I want us to take, want a, us look to take a look picture, at this picture Jesus, of what Jesus what has painted for us and sort of break down this metaphor. So first, you have the house. We are all building something. We're either building our lives, our families, our careers. We're all day in and day out working and building on something. The storm can be an actual storm or challenges or trials, tribulations, the year 2020 that we are all just trying to get through. <laughs> the wise men are, is the disciples who hear and then act on those words. The foolish men are the disciples who hear but do not act on those words. The rock are Jesus' words. He actually says these words of mine. And then the sand is anything other than Jesus' words. That's a pretty clear-cut way there. So if you're living by your words that aren't founded in God's words, well, then you're building your house on sand. Okay, so now that I've established that, let's dig in to some of the nuggets that we find in this wonderful scripture. So notice that both the wise man and the foolish man, or as in other interpretations, the thoughtful or the thoughtless men and women, they heard the words, but they did not act on the words, or they did act on the words. One group took the words and founded their lives on that. The other group did not. Jesus is literally weaning out the real and the fake. And there are a couple things that I think Jesus implies that he doesn't necessarily say. He's really quite good at doing that. So it's implied that those who heard and didn't do were seen as having heard. Yet their actions do not match what they imply they believed. So I think of the scripture in Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 31. It says, they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, as God's people, and they hear your words, but they will not obey them. For flattery is on their lips, but their heart is set on their gain. And Jesus actually recites this scripture as he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's calling them out. You say you believe this. You say that this is who you follow in God, but your actions aren't matching that. You don't speak out against injustice. You don't lend a hand to the oppressed. You're quick, You're to, quick judge. to judge, but not to listen. You don't give of your time and money until it makes you uncomfortable, but only when it's convenient. You crumble. Your faith just falls when anything hard happens in your life. You see, they claim to know God and they claim to follow God, but their actions do not match that. Which brings me to the second point of what I think Jesus was implying here. So I think every piece that's in Scripture, in that holy book, means something. Even the punctuation, the semicolons, the periods, the spaces in this situation. So there's a space between the hearing and the doing, and there's something implied in that space, and that's transforming. We don't just hear the words. We absorb the words. We allow them to penetrate our hearts, and then they change so that our actions are reflective of what we are building our lives 
on, and that is the words of God. So we have another word for that. It's called change. <laughs> How many shiver at that word? Most of us do not like change. We don't want to go through it. We don't want to have to deal with it. We want to rebel against it. I'm not going to change. Nope, nope, nope. Friends, that's not scripture. It's not Christianity. Once we accept God as our Savior, we take on a new creation. And we go through this process of sanctification through the Holy Spirit of becoming more and more like Christ. In this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus provides us with some hardcore truth. That if you don't, if you don't make room for the change, if you don't humble yourself to the Spirit, if you don't approach God vulnerably, your fall will be great. No matter how much you hear God's word, if you don't allow it to change you, if you aren't uncomfortable and uneasy and feeling challenged, then what you think you may be doing for God, you may not really be doing for God. So my daughter is two and a half, and we have entered the why phase. Y'all know what I'm talking about with that? I mean, every single answer has a why with it. And even when we get really tired and we can't come up with any more answers, and we say, because I said so, well, why? It, it still works. The why still works. But Chris and I have sort of made a dedication and a commitment that we are going to continue to try to answer all of the why questions. And as I was writing this sermon, I couldn't help but think of Summit asking why, 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 and us trying to provide all the answers. And I, I realized in the midst of it, there's a lot of reasons that we do this. The first reason is because I want Summit to realize that most of those answers to the whys are because we love her, we care for her, her well-being and her safety. But also what that does is it provides an opportunity for her to start processing and understanding the why. So that if mommy and daddy are super stressed out, like say in the middle of a pandemic, and we're trying to do work and take care of them and try to keep the house together, then she'll understand if we're kind of short with her and we don't have time that she'll hopefully know we're coming from a good place, a place of love. And then also what that does for her is it helps her to shape, well, maybe I should do this with other people because maybe they have a different understanding. And so they have this communication process of understanding one another and having open conversation about things and her obedience to us and to other people that she learns to trust won't just be like a robot. She'll be doing things because she understands them and she trusts them. And that is exactly what God intends for us. The more we know God, the more we grow closer to him in the spirit, we understand that we can trust in his promises so that when we are living in the mystery of God and he's just looking at us saying, because I said so, we know that we are to be obedient because he loves us and he cares for us and he has our best interest in mind. And that is something that we share with others, just as hopefully Summit will grow up to be able to share with other people. This is how you have a conversation, even though it's really difficult and hard. But this is how you open up to these types of things, even if you don't necessarily agree which is something her mom's going to have to remember when she's challenging me on something, and she's probably right, and I'm not. But we, we learn this, and we experience this, and then we can share it with others. Because, friends, we cannot 
teach what we don't know. We cannot move without the Spirit guiding us. And we cannot love our neighbor until we first experience that love and receive it for ourselves. This is why Jesus shared this not only with his disciples, but with the crowds. He wanted them to know just as much as his disciples that you are all getting this knowledge. I love all of you, and now I want all of you to go out and share this. And Jesus knew that there will be a lot of people that simply go through the motions. This is why we have this sermon. This is why we have this warning in this scripture and two more before that. This is also why we have the scripture about being a lukewarm church. It's not, God, it's not what God wants for us. We must not attend church. We must not spend time in God's word or study God's word and proclaim that we know the Messiah if we are just doing so to check a box. God will see right through that just like he saw through those Pharisees and the scribes. No, we seek God. We walk through those doors expecting to experience God here. And then we walk out those doors living for God with the expectation he's going to meet us out there and help us live in the way that he intended. And then we live in relationship with him, continually asking him, hey, where am I falling short? And then we're humble to that answer, even though it could be hard. When we build our lives on his words and allow those words to shape us and then allow our lives to reflect Jesus Christ, then friends, we can withstand any storm. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us and desires intimate relationship with us. And Lord, we are so thankful that you are here, that you are present with us, surrounding us with your spirit. And Lord, we just open ourselves up to you. We, we prepare our hearts, we humble ourselves, and we ask you right where we are right now, where am I falling short? Is there a part of my life that isn't founded on your words that maybe I don't even know? Just reveal it to me. God, you're so good that you are patient with us and you are always working with us and you are just waiting to show us and reveal yourself to us because you love us that much. You love us where you are, but you love us more and you want to take us and make us better. Lord, we just thank you for your presence here. We thank you as we prepare our hearts for this table. And I just thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, who makes all this possible. 